0: Turn in your Bibles or on your phone um, to Luke chapter 3. We're going to look at six verses this morning. Before we do, I just want to say that, man, Christmas is my favorite time of year. And uh, it's my favorite time of year because of the influence of my father. We grew up in Alaska, and I would say if, you haven't, if you've experienced Christmas in any other place, you truly haven't experienced Christmas, because in my opinion, uh, Alaska is just an atmosphere... <laughs> Al- sorry guys uh, bob is hilarious um, <laughs> uh, alaska is a uh, a great place that just exorberates if i can no that's not even a word i need a, i need a word it just resounds christmas because you have the northern lights the natural lights up in the sky that Uh, just illuminate the sky, you have the snow that glistens from the moonlight, you have the frigid cold that actually makes wearing sweaters purposeful, (laughs) and uh, you have uh, just everything. I mean, even the colors of the Christmas lights on the Christmas tree reflect on that snow and just everything feels warm, fuzzy, cozy, and just festive. And uh, and so I always look forward to Christmas growing up, even though it was a lot of work. My dad and I, because I was his only son and I had two sisters that, of course, like didn't have to participate in outside work, Um, so me and my dad, we'd bundle up and we would start stapling the lights on our house. And then we would pull out the Christmas tree and then we would start putting those things together and actually preparing to be festive in the home is actually quite a bit of work. And so you have to prepare if you want to have what I long for every Christmas, and that is by the fireplace, lounging on the couch, drinking eggnog, eating sugar, frosted sugar cookies, and just staring at a tree and just feeling warm and fuzzy and just comfortable and cozy you have to put the work into it. And so this year, as Melissa and I are trying to get our house that we moved into a couple years ago ready and prepared for this experience, you know, I'm up on the roof and I'm scared of heights and I'm putting in those lights and we're putting up the Christmas tree and all those things that I did as a little boy. See, what my dad was ultimately doing as we were preparing for the Christmas season in our own home, he was also preparing me as a little boy as when I step into fatherhood for myself, to carry on something that i got to share with my dad. And it's very significant because every Christmas season, I get to celebrate my father who passed away three years ago. And he still lives with me along those uh, moments when I'm putting in the Christmas lights and saying, ah, thank you for preparing me to carry this on. And I'm very intentional in speaking it with Bo now as I begin to do things. So why am I talking about this, other than the fact it's Christmas time? It's because we are going to look at the preparatory work that John the Baptist does on the scene before Jesus shows up in his ministry. And so I want to transition and pay attention to uh, what is happening here in Luke chapter 3. There's six verses, but I do not want to fool you. I do not want to confuse you. These six verses pack some punch, and they, they... a great, powerful impact. And so I want to walk through these six verses together. And what I want to do is take you on a journey that takes you and looks at these six verses in one, the position in verses one and two, two, the proclamation in verse three, three, the preparation in verse four and five, and then finally the perception in verse six. Let's read together verse one and two, or I'll read it for us. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, and Herod, tetriarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetriarch of the region of that word, and uh, Tracheon, I I struggle, phonics does does not help me in these ways, and uh, Lysanias was tetriarch of Abilene. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Luke right here, what does all this mean? What is going on? In the first two verses of Luke opening up to us his own chapter, Luke gives us a glimpse of a chessboard and the positions of the pieces on that chessboard. And what you're going to see here is that you have Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod, and his brother Philip, and uh, Lysanias. And what you have is this org chart of the political structure that's going on in this point of history. And it's coming from the top down. And then what you also have is the religious influence of the day, which is Annas and Caiaphas. Now, if if you are familiar with any of the Gospels, you already know some of the names that have been mentioned here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, for they're going to show up again at the end of his ministry. We know that we uh, under Pontius Pilate and Herod... Jesus went before them in judgment. And then we also know that uh, these high priests at this time were very influential in bending the people against Jesus. I think that's very important because in contrast, what Luke is doing, he says, but then there's this guy, John. And where does he come from? He doesn't come from a political structure from the top down. Actually, what's about to take place, the most influential thing that's about to take place, the ministry of Jesus, it's going to go from the bottom up. We're going to start looking at John, but then it's going to go directly to to Jesus. He doesn't delegate all of his authority. The one who comes in authority is going to be in authority in the beginning of his ministry, and John is paving the way. So we have a contrast between a top-down structure in this position, in this point of history, and it's about to be erupted and activated by the ministry of Jesus that's going to have a bottom-up structure. It's going to go from John to Jesus, and it's going to blow through everything that people have tried to do to influence others. And so that's just a little uh, background of what Luke begins in these first two verses for us. And we see even the difference between the priests and this prophet, John, right? Because these high priests were the ones that wanted to purge Jesus and his ministry from the people. But John is coming as a prophet to proclaim and to promote the ministry of Jesus to his people. And then even where John's from is a very pointed thing. We're told that he's from the wilderness... And if you just skim through the major meta narrative or the big story of all of Scripture, the wilderness is usually the place where God speaks the most. In the wilderness, He gave the nation of Israel His law for them to guide their lives. Here, He gives John the word to go and prepare the way for His Son. And we even see Jesus carried off by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to show the beginnings of the defeat of Satan in his reign. And so the wilderness here, as we pause and just consider this, that there's something else going on, as Luke is mentioning about the wilderness, is that it's often the place that God speaks the loudest and moves the most in the life of a person. This is going to be very important as we walk through the rest of these verses. And then we see at the end of this verse, too, that John is about to pull the red carpet out for Jesus as Jesus begins his ministry. So how does does John do this? How does he pull out the red carpet for the greatest person in all the world, Jesus Christ himself? He does it by something very, very difficult. Verse 3, "...and he came into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins." I mean, that's a red carpet that might make people red in the face. Can you imagine being a prophet having to come and deliver a specific message? One that you hope that could be pleasing to the ears that will get people to respond easily and quickly. But he comes bearing this proclamation of the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance is a very, very difficult thing. And I I would even argue that this is probably why we blow by John's ministry. As if it's kind of insignificant. And it does pale in comparison to the ministry of Jesus. But I do not believe that God has sent John the Baptist on a fool's errand. Just to say, hey, I need you to go do this, but it won't matter much. I really believe that the ministry of John the Baptist, of calling people to repentance for the forgiveness of sins, really matters to promote Jesus' ministry. And that's why he spoke to John in the wilderness and says, now go and proclaim this message, a very hard and telling message that the people need to hear in order to receive what is about to come. So I do not believe that this is just something we should skim over. I do not believe that this is something that should be easily overlooked, but we should pause and take into consideration John's ministry and John's proclamation, this idea of repentance. Repentance is a very difficult thing. It requires full commitment and, it, and consistent practice in order to achieve its goal. Positioning yourself to receive what Jesus offers. That's its goal. Repentance is the idea of change to change your mind about something, to change your life about something, to change the way you walk, to change your direction, to change what lies ahead of you. And do you know how hard that is? It's one of the hardest things I think that all humans face. Matter of fact, in our lectionary reading, Malachi 3.2 says this, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. That's what it speaks about for the ministry of Jesus. That when Jesus appears, it's not necessarily the best news that you've heard, but it is good news. But the work that goes into it, the work that you need, the work of repentance, the preparatory work that John offers people in order to see Jesus' ministry and have it impacted in their life is hard. And who can stand? Who would commit themselves to such a task, to such a work? You know, a lot of times we can engage with others, and a lot of people come looking to say, I need to change my life. Can you help me? Like, I have this problem, and, and you seek to, to converse with them, and you seek to help them and to change them, you know, to change their mind about something. You might confront somebody to change the ways, or this, that, and the other. You might have one of those, uh, oh, I'm losing the name. What What is it? When people gather, and it's like an intervention. Um, I was trying to think of what episode of something I saw that had an intervention, but there's an intervention. We have interventions in order to change somebody's way of life. We see that it's ruining them. And we want them to change. See, we'll participate in that work. But you know what's harder than that? Is working on yourself to change yourself. And that's what repentance requires. It's a very, very hard task. You know, when asked... uh, I I had finals this week in an apologetic class. And I read this book. And it was very heavy on my heart after I read this section. And I had to write about it in my finals. But uh, Pascal, this philosopher had this idea when he was posed a question that why are people so busy? I mean, I understand when, you know, back in the 17th century or even early on before roads were even invented, how difficult things might have been. But like with technology, things should have been gotten easier. Should have been gotten easier. Don't quote me on that one. Should have been made easier. I mean, communication's even better, right? We have phones now back when you didn't even have phones or electricity and all those things, all of a sudden, like, I thought technology was supposed to advance us to the point that life would become less busy and more manageable. But as I look at the face of my friends here and as I look at my own life, I don't find that I'm any less busy. Those things I do utilize and I don't find myself less frustrated. Things aren't easier for me. Pascal's response is that he argues this thing called diversion. Diversion is what prevents people from actually looking and working on themselves. He goes, the reason why people are so busy, despite all the technology and all the advances and all the things that we have at our fingertips, the reason why we continue to be so busy is because we honestly don't like to be with our own selves. We don't want to be quiet. We don't want to have to deal with our deep secrets. We don't want to have to deal with our own sin in our own lives, our own wretchedness. We want to distract, we want to divert ourselves and our attentions and fill ourselves up with so much stuff. We would rather just wallpaper the hole in the wall than to fix it. We would rather just pile on all kinds of things than to really get at the heart of the issue we would rather distract and divert our minds away than to bear the weight of truth in our own lives. In order to not deal with ourselves and our own wretchedness, in order to prevent having to work ourselves on ourselves and to manage any struggles or weaknesses in ourselves, we fill ourselves with diversions from having to deal with our problems, truth, and pain. We fill our day and our minds with things that distract us from having to confront the sin in our own lives, not in the lives of others, that's a diversion in and of itself because it's easier to deal with other people's issues than having to deal with your own. The road of diversion is more readily driven than the road to repentance. We prefer to be stuck in a ditch, to hide in the mountains, taking the back roads on a leisurely Sunday drive, and and make things harder on us than they need to be in order to avoid the actual road that is best for us, which appears to be scary, but only leads to salvation. And that's repentance, the road to repentance. These Sunday drives are mere wastes of time, because while the wind may be blowing through your hair, there's a foul stench in your heart that will not be made fresh until God himself becomes your prize and your delight. The road less traveled is the road of repentance. And it is the work of repentance you must embrace to truly live the life that God wills you to live. This is a sobering reality of repentance. Repentance is the process in which you begin to rid yourself of all the cover-up, of all the wallpaper, so that you can begin to fill in those holes and that emptiness and that void with the presence of God. That's how you prepare for Jesus. But it's hard. I know it. Even as I'm speaking of Pascal's diversion to you, I think it's very pointed, and it's even a reality this week in my own life, because as I began to read this scripture, as I began to feel the weight and the heaviness of the reality of repentance in my own life, and I pushed it aside, I filled it with other things, good things, like doing things for the church, meeting with people, talking, so that I don't have to deal with the text because I don't want to come before you and offer you something difficult. It's a lot easier, and you might like me more if I can give you something light and fluffy. Repentance is hard. It's one thing that I've avoided for years until finally... I wanted more of God's presence in my life. And I said, okay, let's deal with the hard things. Let's just do it. Some of us put up Christmas decorations believing that we're celebrating Jesus when in essence we are only creating our diversion from the filthiness and the brokenness of our own life and home. Metaphorically speaking, a decorated house isn't in and of itself inviting or welcoming. It is only the home's filled with the presence of God that are the most festive and joyful. Diversion seeks to pollute pollute your life with things so that you don't have to confront your sin in your own life. Diversion seeks to prevent your mind from thinking so you can avoid the truth. Reality is many choose diversion instead of divinity. For some, without diversion there is no joy, and with it there is no sadness. However, diversion is not eternal. All diversions end, and another one must take its place in order to maintain the buzz of joy lingering in your life. We invite diversion into our lives with things that do not satisfy but only cover up and never feel what only God was meant to feel. This is its problem, its temporary pleasure, can never fill the eternal desires that we all have and all are welling up inside of us. Eternal desires for joy, peace, and patience that only God himself offers us. So the better path to joy and satisfaction is not diversion, but divinity. Joy in the eternal, the all-encompassing, the ever-satisfying almighty God. And here's the point to all this. The work of repentance requires that you look at yourself, that you stop the diversions and do the hard work at looking at yourself and looking at your heart. See, now you get why repentance is such a hard thing to do. It's such a hard thing to look at yourself in the mirror and be real with yourself. It's hard to look at your failures and your discouraging attributes because it usually leads us to depression. And it's just easier to cover it up. It's easier just to run to the bottle. It's easier just to run to our children who love us anyway. It's easier just to throw ourselves in our work. It's easier. It's easier to not have to deal with repentance by just diving in to diversions. So, if the ministry of John is preparing the way for the Lord By calling people to repent. How do we get there? How do we do it? And this is where we find ourselves in verse 4 and 5. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice calling, crying out in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will come straight. And the rough lo- roads. That's why I have a Bible. My, my whole thing quit on me here. Um, it's unfortunate. And, uh, and the crooked will become straight, and the rough roads smooth. Apologies. The reason why I do all this work is because I'm already doing things uh, for school throughout the week, and so I just find it easier. Anyway, let me read this again, uh, not to be distracting. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough road smooth. So, how do we do this? How do we do the work of repentance? We first need to be filling in the ditches in our life. We need to fill in your life so that your relationship with christ doesn 't get stuck in a ditch. How are you going to see Jesus if you 're sinking in a ditch? This is the, the first reality to repentance is it, this, uh, These two verses point to the reality is we need to fill in the ravines, we need to bring the mountains low, we need to make straight the roads, and then we need to make them smooth. And the first thing is to get things into your life that aren't diversions or distractions, things that will effectually turn and change your mind and change your heart, that as you wrestle with yourself, can speak into it and provide you with the truth you need to heal and to thrive and to move forward in your life. So you need to fill in the ditches with your life. And we do this by opening up the only truth that we can bear witness to in all of life. The one who made life, the maker of all things, has written down an instruction manual, has written down in a journal of sorts his character and how he made things. We can come to understand God and, make, uh, and, and understand all of life through his word. And that's what we need to get into us more. This is what we, why we push you from this place, Pastor Marshall and I, to get plugged into a small group. It's not because we want to create little um, cool things and we can mark it off on our church and say, oh, we got like 10 small groups happening. That's not the purpose. The purpose is, is because we know that in order for you to see Jesus and get more of Jesus in your life, you have to break open this word with other believers. You have to. And that's where you got to fill it in. If you want to begin living in life like Jesus, and Jesus came to serve us, then it means that you might need to start participating and serving others. You got to fill those in. Here's a tip don't do the hard work of repentance alone, band with somebody, get others to help fill in the place in your life that will set you up and put you on the right road. I, I, the first priority I spoke is a, um, a high school ministry, and it was Connect Week, which means we're connecting the students who are Christians or who have placed their faith in Jesus to the idea of church, to connect them to say, now plug yourself in church so that you can be discipled so that you can grow and uh, mature as a Christian, so that you can grow into the image of Jesus. This is the same idea. Because I, and I, I told them, I said, we often communicate that our relationship with Jesus is personal. And it is, but it's more than personal. It's communal. It's meant to live and flesh out in community. That's why gathering together, that's why breaking bread together, that's why opening God's word together, is a source for what Jesus has done is bringing people together as a community to be encouraging because repentance is hard. To be uplifting because repentance and sin is difficult. And overcoming it through his blood needs to be reminded to you constantly. And if you're filling your life with distractions, you're never going to see that. You need somebody else with the tough love to come and say, this is what you should be filling your life with if you really want the straight and narrow and smooth life that God wills you to have, you'll have to fill it in with things that God wants you to fill in. You have to fill it in with more of God. The second thing of how we begin this journey of repentance is by flattening mountains. This is the idea of purging things from your life that would get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. How are you going to see Jesus and his ministry in your life if there's a mountain right in front of you. Maybe those are self-imposed mountains. Maybe it's mountains that people have imposed upon your own life, the difficulties, the struggles, everything. They're mountains. You have to begin doing the work to remove the mountains in your life. You have to begin doing it by purging your own sin, restoring the relationships in your life, forgiving Seeking the forgiveness of Jesus over your sins and also forgiving others. You have to fill in those ditches. You have to flatten the mountains. Thirdly, you have to straighten things out. And this is a hard one. I'll confess. How can you see what is coming on the road ahead if it's curvy and you don't know what's around the corner? If only that road was made straight, you can see for miles of what lies ahead and you could probably navigate a lot more situations. So how is it that we straighten things out? And It begins with confessing. It begins with confessing those things that you hide in the dark that nobody knows about you at all. But God sees it. And it's the very thing that's probably preventing you from diving in deeper with Jesus and living the life he wills you to live. And so you don't wanna to have to deal with it because it hurts, it's hard, and it's probably going to ask of you things you're not willing to do. But if you are willing to fill in the places in your life with the presence of Jesus and if you're willing to purge from your life the things to make more room for Jesus and if you're willing to confess and get the sin out of you then you can begin to get forgiveness inside of you and begin to truly heal a healing that I would say no counselor will offer you but the one true counselor the Prince of Peace will bring that into your life if you do the work of confession. Of, of looking at yourself. Of holding yourself up to the standard in the mirror and say, oh, I got some things to, uh, to work on. This is a, not a good image. And the very thing that's pointing to your ugly state is the very thing that will also make you beautiful. The word of God. And fourthly, not only do you have to fill in the ditches, not only do you have to flatten the mountains, not only do you have to straighten out the curvy road, but you have to make it smooth. There's tons of potholes, right? You've got to smooth things over. And how are you going to see if you are always having to watch where you step? You have to forgive. You have to seek forgiveness for your sins from Jesus that only he can give. And then you're going to have to ask others to forgive you. And you're going to have to forgive Them. Oftentimes the potholes in your life can come from the things you have left unattended. Commitments you have failed to follow through on. Relationships that are in tension. All those things. (coughs) Prepare for Jesus by forgiving. And here's another little tip. Offer others full forgiveness like Jesus offers you full forgiveness so that they can begin to experience the gift of repentance by experiencing a road that is free from obstacles that hinder their journey towards Christ-likeness. Here's what I mean. If I, and this, I, I think I have seen this in my own life, but in the lives of others, and it's namely the spouses, so let me just speak to that one example, is when a spouse offends another spouse, the other one is kind of bitter and harbors some unforgiveness in their life towards them. But, the very, but that prohibits the very thing that spouse wants to see in the other spouse that is the offender. You want that other spouse to be better and truer and purer and, and just a, more of a pleasant nature. Speaking to my wife on that one, she wants me to have a more pleasant nature. But you not providing them the freedom and forgiveness to say, I have forgiven you. Now go and be like Christ. Instead, they're constantly walking on eggshells because they know that you haven't fully forgiven them. If you want to see your spouse grow in Christlikeness, watch how the gift of forgiving them and not lording over them will do to them. It will encourage them to say, ah, that was bad, he's good, I want to run after him, honey. Don't hold me back. Don't make me look down on the potholes that I've created in our family. Don't hang over my head the things that I've done. Forgive me as Christ has forgiven me. And challenge me and encourage me to walk as I ought to walk, which is the very thing you want done in my life. To love you more. To love you better. To love you the way Jesus loves you. We can oftentimes be the friends or the spouse that hinders the work of repentance. You know how discouraging it is to try to work on myself And to look at my sins and to look in the mirror and begin to do that when all of a sudden I see that I'm still unforgiven. And it just makes me want to say I don't want to work on it right now. I can't change them. They're so mad. They're so hurt and they're broken. They're rightly so. Either there is ministry of reconciliation through Jesus Christ that trickles all the way down to our personal relationships or there's not. And if there's not, then we'd have to deny the very work of Jesus reconciling us to the Father. So I just throw that at no extra cost out to you smooth things over in relationships, create an atmosphere where everybody can begin to look at themselves and repent. Because when they repent and they do that hard work, it gets them to see Jesus. Do the prep work of repentance so that you are able to perceive what is up ahead. And this is the most glorious, I love this Hebrew poetry that's going on. That's what we've been, in these, in these two verses, you catch how they're using imagery to point to what he is supposed to prepare the way for. Fill those ravines. Bring down those mountains. Make the roads straight. Make it smooth so that Jesus just can come on in and just walk and forgive and to bring life and love into the lives of others. It's a, a beautiful poetry, right? And then here it ends with this. So do all that. Do all of those things. If you commit to doing the hard work of repentance, verse 6, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Now all of a sudden, I'm encouraged, if I were John, to say, man, I've got, got a tough proclamation But now I get to prepare the hearts of the people to receive the greatest love they will ever experience and to finally live the way we all have been longing and desiring to live. Jesus is about to come and about to do that in the lives of all those who will believe. All flesh will see the salvation of God. The work of repentance, the ministry of John, Your ministry that you can have to others is all about getting them to see Jesus when he appears. It's cleaning the home in order to receive the guests and have a holly jolly good time. It's mapping out the road trip so that you can plan for where you are going. It's stewarding your time so you can make time and for all that is needed in your life to thrive, which is namely Jesus. Repentance leads to forgiveness, which then allows a life lived in relationship with God. You see, if you want a relationship with God, if you want to see Jesus, if you want to eventually say, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, repentance, repent of your ways, repent of your mind so that you're depleted and empty and ready to receive as a blank slate the final truth, the very truth of what you should have been taking this whole time as Jesus appears to you. That's what the goal of repentance is. You do the hard work, but it's a glorious ending. If you are willing to engage in the work of repentance by stopping the diversions in your heart and in your mind, then you can be better prepared to receive the joy that only the Lord Jesus can offer. When we repent, truly considering ourselves and our need for something outside of ourselves to fill it, then we are ready to echo the words of Isaiah, all flesh will see the salvation of God. Do you remember where John came from? He came from the wilderness. That is the work of repentance. Getting away from the city and the distractions and the city lights and just having to deal with yourself. And preparing your heart and your mind to, uh, in a place where God shows up the most, it seems. Where God is louder, it seems. Where he can give you his word. Where he can come and manifest his presence within you. It's the idea of getting out of the places that are ruled by other things and getting into the wilderness and the places where God is. And God could be most clearly seen? Will you position yourself away from all the diversions so that you can hear and receive the life that God wills for you to have? Will you commit to doing the preparatory work of repentance so that you can perceive the life of salvation and sanctification that Jesus offers? Will you echo John's invitation to others to say, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, so that you can see Jesus and hear him say, here I am. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you. I thank you for this word and its piercing of my heart. Father, I pray that you would just reveal to me the areas of my life that are dark and secret, for the value of Jesus is more than the value of keeping them that way. So, Father, I ask that you reveal to me my sin, that I might repent of it and orient my life to the life that you will for me to have. And I pray this over everyone here that they would do the same things, that they would not, they would no longer seek after all the things that would distract or divert their attention from you, but, uh, Father, that they would just wrestle with themselves and bring an end to themselves so that you can be feeling in their lives where they have been putting up all that wallpaper. Father, thank you for this ministry that you've called John to do because it is still his ministry lingers on in our hearts today to prepare the way for Jesus to be brought into our lives. So, Father, I pray that we'd be hardworking people, that you would give us the gift of repentance, that you would draw us to it by your loving kindness so that we might be forgiven of our sins and receive salvation and a journey of sanctification that makes us look more like Jesus than ever before. We exalt you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.